All right, let's, uh, we're in lesson 18 today, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. We're going to talk today about gullibility and integrity. The gullibility is on the Corinthians' part because they're pretty gullible. The integrity, of course, will be on Paul's part. And so we're looking at uh, those first few verses there. And again, remember what's happening here and has been an underlying issue in this letter is that they're questioning who Paul is. They're questioning his ministry. They're questioning his integrity. And that's going to be coming out in this, this section of verses that we're going to look at today. They're questioning everything about him, even in spite of the fact that he's the one who started the church. Even in spite of the fact that he's the one who gave birth to that church. He's the one who spent time with them. They've been listening to these false teachers and so forth. And so let's look first of all at their gullibility. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. Indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealous. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we do not preach, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech. Yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. So we're going to look here, first of all, at their gullibility. First thing I want you to notice about Paul is this. Paul asked the Corinthians to be patient as he shares his credentials. He wants them to be patient as because they've been wanting this. Okay, he's going to share his credentials, and so he wants them to be patient as he shares his credentials. Because that's the whole issue here, is his credentials. The whole issue here is who is the Apostle Paul especially in light of what these other teachers from Jerusalem are saying, these Judaizers are saying. So then in verse 2, he talks about his jealousy. He has a, he's jealous for them. And here's what he says. He says, he expressed his jealousy for their spiritual purity. He expressed his jealousy for their spiritual purity. So notice what he's saying. He, he's like a jealous Husband, or he's like a jealous father because he wants them to be spiritually chaste as he presents them to Christ. He doesn't want them to be corrupted in any way. And the corruption that he's talking about, so that you understand, the corruption that he's talking about is a spiritual corruption. That they would be corrupted by wrong values, wrong beliefs, wrong thinking. He wants them to be pure, presented pure before Christ in their doctrine and so forth, rather than chasing after all of these different things. And let me explain to you what some of these Judaizers were wanting them to do, because he talks about this in other letters, because 
The problem in Corinth was, was a problem that all the other churches were having, especially with these overzealous Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians would say, well, you know, you've got to keep the Sabbaths. You've got to keep the new moon. So, like, for instance, among the Jews, they would have a festival for the new moon. Once a month, they would have an observance for the new moon coming. They would have special services for this, that, or another. And so, all of these things, they were wanting the Gentile believers, rather than the simplicity of the faith, they were wanting them to observe, to quote, be spiritual. Now, doesn't that sound familiar to you guys? Doesn't that sound familiar how easy we can get off track from our thinking as far as our simplicity of our spiritual lives? So, for instance, like when we present the gospel to people, we tell them that in order for you to get saved, you have to do what? Yeah, accept Christ. Believe in Christ. Let Christ be the Lord of your life. And you do that by what? Works or what? By faith. Now, does everybody agree that's, that's, that's the simplistic message of salvation. Almost seems unreal that that's all you got to do is just trust in Jesus, ask Him into your life, allow, place yourself commitment to Him, and you're saved. That seems unreal, but that's the message. But here's what we've done in our churches now. We've gone beyond the simplicity of the message to now say that in order for you to be a good Christian, you've got to do all of this stuff. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got to carry a certain Bible. You've got to do a certain thing here. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to act a certain way. Can't go here. Can't go there. Don't do this. Don't do that. Now, if I didn't have to do any of that stuff for salvation, do you understand what I'm saying? But we have imposed it now to say that in order for you to be a good Christian, you've got to do all that stuff. Isn't that true? See, it is, it's, to me, it's not any wonder, can I be honest with you, in our circle of churches, it's not any wonder that so many people got turned off from the faith and left. When you were told silly things like, don't read the Sunday comics. Some of you are smiling. You've heard those kind of things before, haven't you? Then why get the Sunday paper? Sounds to me almost like, can't, sounds to me like the Pharisees telling the guy who Jesus made, raised up from being lame and he picked up his bed and started walking with it. Sounds to me like the Pharisees saying, you're working, stop walking. Doesn't it sound like that? See, this is what Paul's dealing with. And so he's jealous for them because he doesn't want them to be corrupted. He doesn't want them to be corrupted. And look, let me tell you, it is so easy to be corrupted, isn't it? You know, I'll just think back to my spiritual experience, salvation experience. I got saved. I didn't get saved in a church. I got saved through the witness of a college group on the University of South Carolina. After that, I was asked to go to church, which would end up being what I would consider my home church. It doesn't exist anymore. But And so I remember the pressure to, and you've heard me tell you this story before, to have a coat and a tie and to carry a Bible. And I didn't have any of those things because when I grew up, all I had was either T-shirts or flannel shirts and blue jeans were the only pants I had. Because there wasn't any need. We didn't go to church. There wasn't any need for that. And so I remember going to my dad and saying, man, you got a tie or a coat and... And here he gives me his coat's 46. 
I, obviously, I, was, I squeeze into that, and then he's got one of those big, fat 1970s, you know, puke-colored, uh, wide ties. And then I said, do you have a Bible? And the only Bible he had, because my dad was a Mason, was a Masonic Bible. It was blue with that big Mason symbol right on the front of it. Now, I think, picture me going into an independent Baptist church with that. That, you know, when you look back on it now, that's the corruption of the simplicity, isn't it? This is what Paul's saying here when he says in this letter, guys, I'm jealous for your spiritual purity. I'm jealous for your spiritual purity. So then here's his fear. Verse 3, he gives a fear. He gives them an example of deception. Paul points to the deception of Eve by the serpent in the garden. Notice what he says, verse 3. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Can I be honest with you? This corruption, this is a good point he's making here. It's just like the deception of Eve in the garden. When you read that passage, Satan, does he just, he, he doesn't, uh, it's pretty subtle how he does it, doesn't he? He challenges the Word of God. He challenges who God is. But he does it subtly. He appeals to her. Can I be honest with you? When you look at all of this, specifically what we're talking about is legalisms. When you look at specifically at that corruption of your faith, it's not a blatant in-your-face type of thing because you would immediately recognize it and say, that's it, I'm not doing it. Get out of my face, you're not right. But it's a subtle thing, isn't it? It's a subtle thing. It's, it's really a subtle thing that happens. And it, it happens very subtly. And I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? You can make this say anything. So, for instance, let's just say that I feel that everybody needs to have hair as short as rods. Now, here's what I could do. I could actually teach that to you from this Bible. See, I wouldn't come right out and say, everybody here needs to have hair as short as rods. I wouldn't have to do that. Because immediately you'd be like, well, you, you're off your rocker. Who are you to come in here and start telling us that? Isn't that true? But here's what I'll do. I, I'll, I'll teach you over time. So then I'll start suddenly saying things like, go all the way into Second Samuel, talk to you about a guy named Absalom, and talk about his rebellion, and talk about how he had long, what? Hair. And then just kind of suddenly point out to you that, that his long hair was a sign of his rebellion. Maybe use a little bit of illustrations about, have you noticed that all the people who are protesting everything, most of them have what? Long hair. And so I can just start suddenly teaching you to, all, to where all of a sudden you start realizing, yeah, only rebellious people have long hair. You know, and then, you see what I'm saying? It's a subtle thing. You can make this Bible say anything. You can make it say anything. Now, I won't point out to you that God told certain very spiritual people not to cut their hair, the Nazarites. Uh, that won't fit into my theology there, so I won't bring that one in. 
Did you know that? That there were certain people in the Bible who had long hair and they were the spiritual ones because they were committed to God so they didn't cut their hair? Yeah, you see, those were the Nazarites. See, but see, I won't bring that in because that doesn't fit what I want you guys to do. And see, this is what he's telling them. He's saying, guys, remember the deception in the Garden of Eve by the serpent. So the next point he says there is this. Paul fears that they, like Eve, are being deceived about the simplicity of the gospel. That they, like Eve, are being, what? Deceived about the simplicity of the gospel. Now, you say, what does all of that have to do with the simplicity of the gospel? Because the gospel, ultimately at its heart, is the acceptance of you by God. Because of who? Jesus. What happens with this corruption that we're talking about is, is that all of a sudden, suddenly it works into your mind that your acceptance with God is not based upon Christ alone. Your acceptance with God is based upon how short your hair is, how well do you dress up for church because you're dressing for the king. You ever heard that one before? You know, if you were to appear before the president... You would dress up? Yeah, if I was going to appear before the president, yes, I would dress up. What I'm saying is, that concept there, but remember what God says in His Word. He doesn't look on the what? Outward appearance. He looks at what? On the heart. And when you ultimately stand before Jesus, you're not going to be in a suit. What happens is now, is that the simplicity of the gospel is, is that I'm accepted by Jesus alone for what He has done, not because of me. But the corruption comes in where you begin to say that my acceptance with God is based upon what? All this other stuff. Here, here, you don't even have to be hung up on that stuff. But you could start saying my acceptance with God is based upon whether or not I do my devotions every day. Whether or not I pray every day. Whether or not I read the daily bread every day. My acceptance with God is based upon whether or not I put something in the offering plate. Do you understand the subtlety of that? When you start thinking in terms of your acceptance with God, when you start thinking in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ in reference to all of this other stuff, you've been subtly deceived. And that's what he's saying to them. He fears that they're being deceived about the simplicity of the gospel. And look, hey, we even, you and I, as well-meaning as we are, I don't think any of us would ever do this intentionally, can suddenly deceive each other, can't we? So, look, he's saying to them, that's his fear. Can I be honest with you? That's, that should be all of our fear for each and every one of us. That somehow we would get deceived. Hey, can I be honest with you? Maybe you know somebody that's in a legalistic church. Pray for them. Because the simplicity has been robbed. I'm just being honest with you. The simplicity of the gospel has been robbed from them. And you need to pray for them that they would understand. And so you and I need to pray for those folks that we know that are being robbed of the simplicity of the gospel. They're being robbed. And we need to pray for them. So then notice in verse 4 now, he points out the presence of false teachers. He says this. He points out that they were putting up with false teachers. Look at what he says in verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, 
Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's being very candid here. He said, guys, if some guy came in here and said, this is the Jesus and it's a different Jesus than the one you knew, or if some guy came in and talked about a different spirit than the one that you received, or he comes in here and gives you a different gospel, he says, you probably would put up with it. That's his fear. That's his fear. That they would only hear all of this stuff and just put up with it. And that's his fear. You know what? The presence of false teachers among them. Look, can I be honest with you? The greatest source of false teachers, can I tell you where they come from? Is within the church itself. There's a key phrase that's used over and over in the New Testament. where, And this is the phrase. From among us. The place that false teachers are raised up in are within our own midst. Why do you think the scripture is very clear about not laying hands on a novice too soon? Different things like that. But as soon as we recognize a gift in someone, we're what? Ready to put him in the pulpit and do whatever with him. And the fact of the matter is that false teachers come right up from among us. And here they were, right there in the midst of them. And they were challenging Paul. They were challenging him, his credibility. They were deceiving these Corinthians concerning the simplicity of the gospel. And he says, you know what? You guys would put up with it. You would put up with it. So notice now, he gives his defense. Verse 5 and 6. A couple things here. His response to the false teachers. First of all, he does this. Points out that he does not consider himself to be inferior to the twelve apostles. Remember the twelve? They're the, one, the disciples of Jesus. Of course, Judas hung himself and so Matthias took his place. And so Paul points out that he is not inferior, verse 5, to those 12 apostles. Because that's one of the key things that's being pointed out is, he's not part of the 12. So he says, I'm not inferior to those guys. So then he talks about who he is, verse 6, his true measure. And here's what he says. Paul states that while he is untrained in speaking, he is not untrained in knowledge. While he is untrained in speaking. See, again, remember I told you, Paul's not an eloquent speaker. If he were to come in here and speak, you would not be impressed by him. But he's saying, look, don't look at what I am saying. The knowledge is what I am trained in. And you know what? When we read his letters, you can recognize right off the bat he knows what he's talking about. This is a man with a lot of knowledge. Obviously so, half of our New Testament was written by him. Do you realize that? Most of the epistles that we read are written by Paul. And probably when you look at the book of Acts, half of it deals with who? Paul. Written by a companion of Paul. Luke, his gospel. Who's Luke? He's the writer of Acts, the companion of Paul. Hebrews. There's a big question as far as who the author of Hebrews is. Some think it's Paul, some think it's Apollos, whatever. Whoever it is, somehow was related to Paul, connected to Paul in some way. So this is a man of great influence. And he says, don't go by what I'm saying, don't go by my speech. But while he's untrained in speaking, he's not untrained in knowledge. And you and I need to recognize that, and they needed to recognize that. And so then he what? He points out that the Corinthians would be aware of this. He says, guys, you're already aware of this. I was with you. 
I'm the one who led you to Jesus. You already know this. And it's almost like the point is, why am I telling you this again? Why am I telling you this? That's the whole issue. That's the whole issue. So now we get to verse 7 through 15, and we're going to talk about his and Paul's integrity. And the issue is, and you're going, to be, you're going to be shocked at this, the issue is money. Look with me at verse 7 through 15. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. But when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Acadia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So let's look at a couple things here. So he's going to, first of all, verses 7 to 11, respond to their criticism. And notice what their criticism is about. Here's their criticism. You've probably never uttered a criticism like this before, ever. I haven't. They criticize Paul for not taking their money. That sound foreign to you? It sounds foreign to me. Do you ever have a preacher refuse to take your money? No. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And that's what they're criticizing him for. You can almost hear it. Paul doesn't take our money. Can't believe him. And so that's what he's got to answer to. And so that's what he's going to give an answer to. First of all, the refusal. Verse 7, the refusal to take the money. Here's what he's saying. He questions their offense because he refused their money. He's like, guys, you can't be serious. This is what you're upset about? That I won't take your money? He questioned the whole issue of why they were upset. I'll tell you why they were upset. Because it was a common practice in that day, even into this day, very common practice that these traveling evangelists would come in or these teachers would come in and they would insist that all of their needs be met. And that was the responsibility of the church. And so then these guys are coming in and then they hear, well, you know, yeah, okay, we'll do that for you. But, you know, when the Apostle Paul was here, he didn't do that. So rather than having egg on their face for all the insistence, they then start to challenge the integrity of Paul for not taking their money. Oh, well, he must not have loved you if he didn't take your money. And you remember, we just talked about how gullible they were. He must not have loved you because he didn't take your money. And they were saying, Paul's not right for not taking it. 
And he's like, guys, I can't even believe we're arguing about this. I can't believe you're offended at me about this stuff. You probably can't believe there are either. But see, that's how deceived they were. So then he goes on. Paul's purpose was to proclaim the gospel free of charge. He says, look guys, the reason I did this is because I wanted to proclaim the gospel free of charge. So no one could say he's doing it for the money. He's doing it for the perks. He wanted to be able to proclaim the gospel free of charge. So then, now, how did he support himself? Well, then he goes on and says that he states that he even took money from other churches to minister to them. So he was willing to take money from other churches. He just wasn't willing to take money from them because as he ministered to them, he did not want the issue of money to be an issue as to this is why he's doing it. You see his, you see his plan of how he went and ministered to an area? You see how he, how he did that? So then he talks about his actions, verse 9, and he says this, Paul did not want to be a burden to them. Paul didn't want to be a burden. He didn't want to be a burden to them. So, notice what he says. His work and the aid of others allowed him to minister to them. So, his work, remember he was a tent maker. His work as a tent maker and the outside support from other churches allowed him to what? Minister in that context. Hey, that's what we do today with our missionaries. Is that not true? We support our missionaries so that when they're on whatever field they're on, they don't have to be a burden to the people. Look, I need a dozen eggs today, please. I know you've got some chickens. Can you give me a dozen eggs? They don't have to be a burden on the people that they're ministering to. They are free to minister because they're receiving the support from the outside. This is the biblical model of missions. This is the biblical model of missions. So then verse 10, he says this, he was not going to stop boasting that he preached the gospel free of charge. He's actually embarrassing these other teachers. Can't you see it? But they, the Corinthians don't seem to kind of catch that for, a, for some reason. He's actually really humiliating them by the fact is, is that, guys, when I come among you, I don't take anything from you. I'm here to minister to you free of charge. All these other guys are asking for stuff. So then verse 11, he talks about the issue of his love. And he says, Corinthians accused Paul of not loving them because he refused their money. Can you believe this? You don't love me because you're not taking my money. That's the accusation. That's the accusation. Paul responded that God knows his love for them. He said, you guys, you know that I love you. God knows that I love you. I wouldn't have stayed there and ministered to you. I wouldn't have shared the gospel with you if I didn't love you. So then finally, Paul's opponents claimed that they ministered on the same level as Paul. So he's, his opponents, these false teachers, were claiming that they were ministering on the same level as the Apostle Paul. We're on the same level as what they were saying. But notice something. Paul said this. He pointed out that he differed from them in the area of money. He said, oh, really? Here's one area that we differ on. I'm not sapping off of you. I'm not sapping off of you. Listen, the um, early church had a set of rules among the churches, and we have this. 
And in this set of rules, it said about traveling evangelists that if he stayed longer than two weeks, kick him out. If he stayed longer than two weeks, kick him out because he's awfully because he's there to freeload. That's the George Cannon paraphrase of it. That if he's there longer than two weeks, he's freeloading. Kick him out. Because he's there sapping off of you. And that, so that obviously had that, we have that problem today, don't we? We have that problem today. Except our freeloaders are a little bit different. So then look at verse 13 through 15. He tells them the nature of false teachers. And so here's the final two points. False teachers try to pass themselves off as apostles of Christ. False teachers try to pass themselves off as apostles of Christ, as teachers of Christ. And that's what they'll do. You, you know, here's the thing. Nobody's going to walk in and say, I'm a false teacher. They're going to walk in and say, I'm just like you. I'm a teacher of Christ. I'm a teacher of Christ. You know what I'm saying? But they pass themselves off as what? Teachers. And what is the final point? They're only following the example of Satan himself. He says what? Notice something here. You understand something? Satan is not this ugly being that you see on the TV shows. Paul says it right here that what? Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of what? Light. So, I mean, wow. What a church, huh? Okay, next week, as Paul continues with the issue of his boasting, he's going to talk about the many trials that he has faced. Okay? All right, let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.